welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Hello, everyone out there who's listening, and hello to people who aren't listening, but we hope are listeners soon. What? Well, we're saying hello, we're putting it out in the universe. Mm. Do we do that here? Do we put things I, out into the universe? Uh, <laughs> what are our expectations? <laughs> Astral projection for everyone. This is Patty Payette. She's putting things out into the universe. And this is Brian Barnes, who likes to be scully to my Mulder. <laughs> I'm sure I'm putting things out in the universe, too. I just don't know it. And see, then then it's just out of control, though. You should try putting things out intentionally. Could you explain to our listeners how this mechanism works? Okay. Well, think of Benedict Carey's concept of incubation. Okay, go ahead. And? Tell, tell our listeners. They didn't, okay. they didn't hear that episode. Okay, no, they didn't. We've been doing didn't. this for 170 episodes, if you yeah. can believe it. Yeah, I can believe it. Well, you can believe it. I can it. believe it, because I've lived every one. Um... <laughs> Okay, so he has this concept around, and Benedict Carey has this concept around incubation. And we also have talked about it in terms of that phrase. What is that phrase? La vida loca. <laughs> the one about like opportunity. What's that phrase, Louis Pasteur's? Mm, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. <laughs> Is that not it? Come on. What's the Louis Pasteur one about um, opportunity? It's a matter of Can preparation you Google or that? something. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. And so while Brian's looking that up, when we are trying to move forward with a problem or work through an issue, that if we call it to mind and we kind of get to a crossroads in our thinking... Yes, thank you. The phrase is chance favors the prepared mind. So we prepare our mind by going, hmm, let's see, I gotta really think through this issue or I gotta really figure something out. And then we think about that, whatever the issue is, uh -huh. and then we proceed along with our life uh -huh. and go to work, go uh -huh. home, go uh -huh. to the gym, uh -huh. go walk or die, whatever we do in our life. Uh -huh. Then we are priming for aha moments and conversations and people we meet or situations to connect, to connect with. That's the chance that as we're going about, our prepared mind is uh, like attuned. It's like we have antenna up, but we don't have to constantly be trying to answer the problem. We, we sort of keep it top of mind and we allow both our mind to incubate, incubate on it and maybe come to aha moments while at the same time letting. So putting out in the universe is another way of saying, I'm going to live my life and see what opportunities come into my awareness. But if I may. You may. If you're putting it out into the universe, that seems to imply a mechanism such that you are generating something that will then somehow have an effect that you interact with or that benefits you or something like that in the future. Isn't that the implication? 
that benefits you. Like you're putting it out in the universe and you expect oh, a, a yeah, return. Yeah, there's, there's an implicit understanding that I'm putting something out there and I'm, I'm yes, I'm trying to, to throw something like a line, like a fishing line, like I'm throwing something out, uh-huh. like an intention uh-huh. or a thought, uh-huh. and it's going to reverberate back in some way. So, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I've just heard the colloquial thing, like you, you, um, you put things out and then they return to you in a a larger multiplier have you heard You've is heard that, that is that the kind of thing like you, mm. you put it out and it comes whatever you put out comes back to you threefold um, comes back to you sevenfold oh man that's a whole nother is that another that's is that a different whole, thing yeah that's a different thing that's a whole different thing well how's it a different thing i mean i mean what's the mechanism that brings it back cuz you said incubation i but, was talking but that about... just might always that just might always be in your head Exactly. I was talking about um, I was talking about this in terms of putting it out there. Uh, in terms of I'm like I said, bringing something top of mind, and wanting to. I mean, I was kind of being cheeky when I was thinking about manifest people who aren't listening, bringing them back. I was kind of being cheeky there. Well, I mean, I mean, you can be cheeky, but what I'm what I'm thinking about is if you're advocating that people do this on the Critical Thinking Show, mm. I'm just wondering, like, how do I know that this works? Um, you, the whole part about manifesting something to come back to you. I don't know that. That's a good question. That's actually a topic for another show. I think that's a whole show topic right there. Well, it it, it may be. It, we've touched on it. We have. I'm I'm but but I would just for everybody who's thinking about this, I think that we want to ask ourselves whenever we suggest that a mechanism is useful. So you've talked before about some other what I would consider to be relatively questionable concepts like fake it till you make it. <laughs> Which is nonetheless <laughs> one of my favorites. One of your favorites, which is nonetheless tried and true for so many folks. Yes, it is. And one of the things that we did with that is kind of pick that apart and figure out what some of the implications of that were and what some of the thinking is kind of buried in that was. And so we might do that with any number of assertions about how we can improve our lives. You make a great point. Like putting it out there in the universe and seeing what right. I mean that's a that strikes me as that's a that's something that people suggest all the time but people also have suggested that you know if you really think if you think about your broken television and you just think work if you just think it hard enough then it will mm, I don't put those on the same plane Yuri Geller puts them on the same plane <laughs> Well, we we have done shows on about music musicians, magicians. He's he's probably a he's musician too. I'm sure he's got. It <laughs> well, all. if you're listening and wondering, is this show just about parsing things to death? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> While drinking coffee. While drinking coffee. Yeah, parsing and ca- caffeinating. Yeah, we we guilty. That's not totally what the show is about, but mm. we do a fair amount of that. Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring the stuff to the people, right? If it's critical thinking for everyone, it's supposed to be the sort of thing, we hope, where you'll be able to use some of this material, um, I don't know, in your week or whatever. You'll be able to use it in your professional life. You'll be able to use it when you're at the movies. You'll be able to use it, um, you know, 
in in some kind of um, interpersonal stuff. Right, even whatever. just to think through issues or problems. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's what our dream is for this show. That's what our dream is. And so when we're talking about these kinds of ideas, we're imagining in our in our fantasy, we're imagining that it's actually going to be useful for you. That you'll go, oh yeah, I've thought that before, and then you'll start thinking about it, and then maybe. Maybe you come up with a little more depth on the topic. Maybe you have some kind of another idea um, about it. I, I don't know. I mean, we're we're, we're not sure what's going to stick we're necessarily. We're just putting it out there just, in the universe. <laughs> we're just putting it out there in the universe. <laughs> of course, so far, not much has returned, so I am still skeptical. <laughs> wow. Mm. Well, that's your cue, listeners, to let us know that you're out there. Oh, yeah, In the definitely. universe. Out there in Somewhere, the universe. Where, Incidentally, where, if you where. would like to maybe contribute to this effort of putting things out into the universe, yeah. um, you, could, uh, you could perhaps donate to Forward Radio. Would you yeah. like to tell the people how to do that? Yes, we would be grateful to count you as a supporter. We are a nonprofit shoestring social justice radio Shoe. station oh, yes. <laughs> radio station right. and we would be so proud if you would consider supporting us for any amount you can go to forwardradio.org and there's a donate button mm-hmm. uh, there's not a donut button but there is a donate button however if you were to bring donuts to some kind of a you know that would be donating donuts. Yeah. And you know what? We'd be really tickled with that. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wanted to bring this up. There yes. is a there is a, a news story I heard. Oh, I think I – was this over the weekend? Yeah, on NPR, yeah, one yeah. of these shows. Okay, so this was about um, – this was about a fake news video game. Okay, so basically the way that this works is there's an educator who works at developing – uh, video games that are supposed to help teach people about real life stuff. No, I think it's this dude okay. down here, John Rosenbeck. Rosenbeck. Rosen, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. so. Okay. I think that he has uh, this video game that has that has been worked on. That looks cool, and it's supposed to you engage with it, and it's supposed to have you see if you can tell the difference between fake news and real news. Yeah. I guess they started it with the intention of, I think, of of training people within various industries to be able to detect fake news. But the whole point of the game, and this is what I kind of wanted to ask you about, um, and anybody could reach out to us about any of these topics at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. If you wanted to talk back to us, we'd love to hear from you. We would. We would love it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, The video game is designed to help you create fake news within the video game universe. So I'm playing as a person who creates fake news. Okay. And right. I earn badges like the one we have on the screen here when I do a good job creating fake news to serve my purpose or to get a lot of people to follow my misinformation campaign right. or any number of other things that we, that we tend to find sort of abhorrent in the real world. Wow. And so the the question that the interviewer asked, if, if we can all go back and listen to that NPR interview, the question that the interviewer asked was, do you think there's anything wrong with training people to create fake news? That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, because apparently you have to do a lot of very detail. Like you have to actually create like the pages and the actual like figure, we, like get the actual information. Why are we teaching people to do that? The person here said, said that 
Um, in follow-up studies, after people played the game, the better they did it in the game and in becoming the bad guy who creates the fake news, the better they job they did in the real world detecting it? of detecting it because they understood the motivations for it. Oh, Because wow. they played that character. Wow. So I wonder if we think, wow. I mean, I'm man, wow. that is a terrible kind of situation to be in. In my view, it's like, do we really want, is that the way, is that, is that the most effective way for us to give people skills? I mean, because we say like that. Like having them inhabit a villain. We say to... that in lots of things. I want people to be, I want people to, to really understand basketball. Well, let's play some basketball. You want to understand mm. crochet? Well, let's get in there and crochet. Like, we can talk about it, That's but not true. until you've crocheted. You don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so and so, I really think that there's a, um, I think that there's a, a certain position here that makes sense, you know, that we're training people to do the task, I, and so they'll it. understand I it. I get that from the inside out. Yeah, I get that. But it's to me, it's also, like, ethically, I just go, oh, wow, do we want to train people to create fake news? Because then Russia's going to... Um, hire these people <laughs> away, these young, impressionable people, because they've just learned unwittingly we've taught them how to be a Russian bot. I mean, you know, it could be any of our state enemies. We're certainly not trying to single out the Russians. And I, I, mm. I, 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 feel, like, I feel like we shouldn't say Russian. I feel like we ought to say those... Axis of evil inhabitants. Those, those who would be against our interests. I don't know. I'm just. I, I, I'm. So, All right. I, I'm sorry I, if I'm being. I just. I just think that. I mean. I'm. I mean. Well, Russian. Russian it's actors, not just I'm bad sure. Bad actors are in all they're different all over. countries. Yeah, yeah okay. We got some bad actors here. All right. Here. Well, this sounds fascinating. And that's a really. You know what? Let's. This question. What better way to teach. To really teach people about something than to actually have them inhabit the doing of it, even if it's something negative like creating fake news. That's a fascinating question. Because, I'm, because of course, of course, there's a thing about, you know, people talk about violent video games, right? And they'll say things like, like this guy's contention in the thing was that, that you know, we know well from studies that video games don't create violent action. That was, right, that was what right. he said. And I was like, well, I haven't looked at that research in detail, right. but I... I definitely concur with that opinion in my right. own sort of anecdotal way. But um, but I did wonder, you know, like there are some video games that when they ask you to do a new thing. Right. In some cases, particularly I, I experienced this a lot when I got out of like military intelligence and then I was playing video games that involved a lot of clandestine counter blah, 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 blah. Right. And there were things in there a lot of times that made me go, oh, well, that's like really realistic. Like that's a that's not an unreal, you know. So you identified thing. from your own experience that, wow, this is really replicating the experience in a video game. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I'm sitting there holding a, a controller, <laughs> but I could very easily like sort of imagine myself uh. in, from a different perspective. And, I, and it, it made me think sometimes, well, I wonder how many people look at these video games and see this real, realistic, let's say, content and get ideas for new ways of acting in the world. And, of course, that's the concern when we're concerned about violent video games. That's the concern leveled against games like Grand Mm. Theft Auto and stuff like this. And so um, this is one of those things where, you know, the the difference, I think, is that if I'm going to be like, I don't know, like – a government assassin or something like that, I have to do a lot of physical stuff. 
and a lot of right. people are never going to get off the couch to do any physical stuff, right? right? But if I'm going to create misinformation, I can do it from the you couch. You can do it from that's a gr- that ah, is a great it makes me feel like tweet. an old fuddy duddy. Ah, I, I feel know. so fuddy duddy. Well, you know what? This is a fascinating topic. This is a fa- it makes me want to find a guest who could come on and talk, talk, come on the show and talk to us about fake news. That'd be that'd be interesting. I'm sure yeah. there are guests out there. Yeah. Well, my son is taking a media class, and he just told me last week they were doing a whole thing on fake news. He was finding it very fascinating. Oh, good. Well, I mean, it and is interesting. Right? It is. It's really important stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, good. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see the younger generation tuning in. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, this is really good stuff. I did catch, like, I heard the interview. I had NPR on, and I didn't, like, catch the full mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the full mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm glad to know, and I can go online and read more. And other people who want to read more, they can look. Bad News Go Viral. That's the name That's of the That's the game. Okay. That's the game. Okay. And this whole thing is, um, oh, okay. Harmony Square. What's Breaking that? Harmony Square. Okay. Um, is Teaches another game. users through role play how to troll, how troll farms Oh, work. yeah. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Users play the chief disinformation oh, officer. That, that actually sounds really fascinating. Breaking Harmony Harmony's Square. Square. Okay. Oh, maybe it's not breaking. Maybe it's just maybe breaking. Just by the Harmony Square seems to be the game. Oh, Harmony okay. Square. But it's the same okay. kind of game as the uh, bad news. Oh, bad news and go viral are two different games. So we got three games about disinformation: oh, Harmony Square, Square, bad news, and uh, go viral. Oh. All, all of which. Are supposed to help you identify fake news, but the some okay. of them are the ones that have you play. All right, the, this is so interesting. They're yeah. created by University of Cambridge psychologists in tandem with U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Didn't you used to work? No, you didn't work for Homeland Security. You worked for intelligence, right? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> no, I, I work for the National Security Agency. Okay, yeah, yeah. and here you are now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's me. <laughs> Who knows where I am? This is all audio. <laughs> oh man, chuckle. What was your point? I'm not sure what my point was. <laughs> well, let me get to a different point. We would like today to flip the script and we want to honor Patty for her recent scholarship with yes. her um, with her writing partner du jour. Rob Detmering, who we've had on the show before, who, who is, is a, a university librarian. Who's a fake news uh, expert himself. He's all fake news. That guy's all <laughs> fake news. <laughs> He's a good... And, yeah, so I just published an article. Yeah, we. It's we, Patty. We. I'm sorry, we. You're Rob. even the second author. Just slow down. <laughs> Jeez. Rob and I published, sorry, Rob. published yeah. this article about a project we've been working on at UofL. Okay. Tell us about it. And finding a new fit for student success. Finding your fit is like this phrase that you use in your work. Right. Librarians as agents of teaching innovation and institutional change. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot in there, packed in there. You guys didn't work on brevity as part of your process. (laughs) Hey, we're academics, so. (laughs) The long form. Yeah. All right, so tell us about it. Okay, but. Before I tell you about it, do you want me to tell you about it in terms of critical thinking terms or tell you about, like, just the elevator speech? Oh, just give us the elevator speech just to Start get us there. started. No, okay. one, no one even knew you wrote, you wrote an article until I told them. Okay. So here's the, here's the elevator speech. All right. Elevator speech. I have been leading a project at University of Louisville okay. for the last five years okay. that is designed as an intervention to help students who are stuck who gets stuck. And one of the partners in this project is university librarians. So when you say stuck, you mean like um, like they're on the stairs and they can't 
make it to the next flight? <laughs> no. Oh, because that metaphorically would be more, that might be one for the for the gym. Yeah, I don't know. Now students get stuck, and and we began stuck to really where? stuck, stuck, stuck. They stuck. get stuck in their journey to graduation. So we were noticing, we looked at patterns of going okay. on with undergraduates at University of Louisville, and okay. we we noticed, wow, look, we're we're looking at student progression, and we're noticing that. Wow, we're having a big drop off between the second and third year. Okay. And for decades, there's been a big focus on the first year, like helping students mm. succeed in the first year and come mm-hmm. back the second. You know, that's been a big focus in higher education, right? Okay. Acclimate to college. Okay. Well, wow, all of a sudden we're losing them between the second and third year. So then we started drilling down to figure out, okay, but who are we losing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that sparked this project. So this grew out of the work you're already doing. It grew out of an imperative from the university that we needed an enhancement project that was database. So we had to look at data in order to decide how are we going to improve education. At and UL. so, did you use some of that data to help inform this paper? Mm-hmm. Was that okay? Yeah. And, and Rob yeah. does that work too, right? Like he he's is a partner. In that. He's yeah, a partner. Yeah. 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 And so, um, librarians as agents of teaching, innovation, institutional change. So when I think about librarians. Apologies for what I'm about to say. I'm sure it's deeply offensive to librarians. When I think of librarians, I think of people who are very much a resource person. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess from my point of view, if I don't need the librarian, I can, like, use the library on my own. Right. And my experience as a student was that um, – I rarely, I mean, I've mentioned many times that at Hanover College, of course, you know, the library, when I was up there, the library was sort of the the only thing going. Um, So I was in the library for sure every day, I think, when I Mm -hmm. was in college, once I finally figured out what I was doing in college. So maybe from my sophomore year on, I was in the library every day. And um, I rarely needed the librarian. I mean, I needed them for a few things back then, interlibrary loans, special collections, stuff like that. Sometimes to point me to a reference book. But I I, I guess my bias is that I see librarians as not – an innovator or a driver of institutional change. Okay. And so I I know that I'm wrong about this. I'm just bringing right. it, I'm just copying right. to my own bias. Again, no offense to right. any librarians because I I mean, again, right. I I find them to be terribly indispensable just even in the limited way that I interact with librarians. Okay. What do you what what about librarians makes them agents of innovation and institutional oh, change? I'm glad you asked. Well, it's in the title. I couldn't right. avoid it. I would never have asked. So good title. Okay. So the reason they become agents of change is that part of the reason these students are stuck is because they can't make good decisions. And part the reason they can't make good decisions is because they're not informed. And so part of getting them informed is teaching them how to get information so that they can make good decisions on their own behalf, which many of them have capitulated this decision-making to parents or teachers or advisors. And so when you capitulate personal decisions about your future to other people and you hit a wall, you turn around and you go, okay, well then now I need to think it through. But many of these students 
didn't have the skills or tools to think it through. So a librarian was one of the one of the folks at their disposal to help them get good skills in thinking things through. So what about the idea that when I reach my second year mm-hmm. or, or something like that, it's really up to me to sink or swim? Well... Like, like, like librarians can do the things that I mentioned right. before. Right. But in terms of anybody at the university taking maybe a, a more complex or profound role, right? Maybe maybe some students shouldn't be in college, and that's why the attrition rate is so is so large at this particular point. Well, we our college assumption bad. our bad. assumption is that so many of these students do want to be and do belong and can be successful in college, but they have picked the wrong major or they're not clear about their goals because a lot of times what the research shows and what we're seeing in the second year is in the first year everything is shiny and new and they're exploring things and they're trying things out and then a lot of times what happens is they get into the second year they're taking harder classes in their major for many of them the shininess is worn out Mm -hmm. and we've Mm -hmm. taken away all the training wheels Mm -hmm. right and they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be on their own Mm -hmm. and for many of them if they're in the wrong major or they are not clear about their goals and why am I going into debt, mm. if A, I'm not sure this is even the right major or I, want, or I want to do this major, but you know what? I don't know how I would make a living on that. So I'm going to pick business because that feels safe even if I don't like it. Sure. So they've hit a wall because they have all these assumptions. Sure. And so what we are designed to do is say, hey, we want to help you ask some hard questions and help you figure that out for yourself and kind of find your fit, whether it's in college or maybe in some cases, some students have said, you know, college isn't for me. Sure. So so how do librarians help students find their fit? I mean, this isn't about yeah. librarians and faculty, even though I will say librarians here are faculty. Well, this is so fat librarians are one of the people at the table. Um creating a team to help support students. So this particular article is 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 for that audience. So it, it, it foregrounds the librarian role because it's for that audience. Okay. But there are other people who create, we create a team as an, a faculty member and an advisor and a librarian who all create a team to help support students to ask, go deep and ask these questions. Some of these questions students have never answered for themselves. And as they begin to answer them, for themselves these questions about what am I, what do I value, what am I good at, what am I interested in, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. They've like literally never asked themselves these questions. We sort of create a, an environment to help them ask the questions, answer them, create or tentative paths, explore options. Okay. Wait and, a minute. Yeah. Well, hold on. Let me ask. So you keep saying we. Mm-hmm. You're not a librarian. Right. So who's we? We. And why? So I, <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So there's a... There's several of us who work on this project okay. over many years together. Okay. So, so I like and my team, yeah. yeah, well, I and my team, we train the faculty member and the advisor and librarian to teach this particular curriculum that we've developed. Oh, And okay. so we and so train them. Uh, the three, there's an instructional yeah. team in the class. There's three with the faculty in the lead. I got you. And so we do the training and support before they teach the course because for it's so different than any other course that faculty have taught. Okay. That, you know, it's like really different. <laughs> and so it's teaching them how okay. to teach it. 
teaching them the curriculum. So what are so what are some of the things that and what are some of the ways that this gets differentiated between like the faculty role and the librarian role and the advisor, advisor role? role? Yeah. How do we differentiate it, or, yeah, like, or I mean, I mean or there, what is the differences? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, what, yeah, what are the different things that they do, and are they? I mean, these are you need all three, so you can you couldn't just. Well, we need all three, and what we've been tinkering with is the degree where they need to come in and mm-hmm. how often they need to be there. We over the five years we've been gathering data and tinkering with the exact amalgam of their roles. So the faculty member, I can tell you, the, here's are the pillars. The faculty member is in the lead. Okay. So they are there every single class session. Okay. They are helping students make meaning of all the different experiences. Okay. S- students do a 15-week um, inquiry project. So mm-hmm. it's over the course, and it's based on the academic theme. The faculty member picks an academic theme that the course is shaped around, and then students pick a question of their own interest underneath that theme. And then they have 15 weeks to do this, what's called an iSearch paper, where Mm. students are, it's not a research paper, it's different. It's very much about the process of asking a question, going out and finding good information. So that's where the librarian comes in, including Mm. asking a human being. Like some students, it blows their mind where they're like, we're like, yeah, go out and find someone in the world who knows something about this topic that you've picked. Sure. And ask them. And they begin to see that, oh, getting information in the world and being informed isn't just about my textbook. It's about understanding there's all these sources in the world and how do I sort through them? And so then students actually document their journey on that inquiry process. Mm. And then they write up. um, But because they've picked their own question within the topic, it's... It's helped students get in touch with what am I really interested in? Because, again, a lot of students have hit a wall because they don't know what I'm interested in. And so um, so the librarian plays a role in helping coach at key points, especially at the beginning, helping them create a scopable question. And so the faculty member is leading that process and librarians assisting as part of uh, in the classroom as part Mm -hmm. of helping students learn how to um, do inquiry work. And so this isn't every student that's involved in this, is it? I mean, this isn't across the university. This is only for some student. Oh, any student can register. I mean, it's aimed for a specific group, but any student who's interested. We've had juniors. We've had first-year students in it. We even had a couple seniors take it. Okay. So, um, but it's aimed for a particular audience, but one of the things our research shows is students who are not just in the second year hitting a wall. It's I will tell you, we've had a population that's been really fascinating who's been, who have been interested in this course that we didn't expect. Okay. That is students who have declared a major, mm. got into it, started mm. taking classes and went, oh, no, 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 uh-uh, this is not for me. And they get stuck because they need to transition to another major right. and they don't know where to start. So right. we call them students in transition. This course has been really appealing to those students. Oh, that's interesting. I changed my major five times <laughs> as an undergraduate. <laughs> so I do understand the trepidation. Yeah. And just and just one day realizing, like, I can't possibly do more of this. <laughs> Right. Like with these people, are you serious? I right, exactly. Oh, yeah. many, such terrible ex- experiences. And many students yeah. figure that out, but some students get stuck and they don't know how to figure it out. Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, I didn't know how to figure it out either. It, 
you know, five I, times. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're trying to help students not keep spinning and spinning and spending all this money and not having a direction and clear goals. So it's been interesting to see the assumptions that we've been overturning that students bring in and reasons they get stuck. That's been interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you, can you share? So, I mean, I'm afraid that some people out there are going, I don't care, and they're already cruising through the other yeah. uh, channels. But, I mean, because I don't, I don't imagine too many uh, students per se who would be in such a position or listening to the show. Maybe some parents would be interested in some of the stuff uh, for their students or educators or librarians. But I wonder, can you explain a little bit maybe about how this work in the Journal of Library Administration could maybe resonate with average person on the street? Like, is there anything maybe about causes for getting stuck well, or about the, the ways audi- you get unstuck? This audience for this particular article is yeah. aimed toward leaders. Okay, so let me give you a little context here. Wait a minute. Before you give us context, is that a listen button? Weird. Okay, I don't know what that. We're going to have to investigate why there's a okay. listen Okay, it could button. be the case that Patty's article is one that you can listen to <laughs> on the... I would love to dictate it as if I'm the author of the book and you're, you need something to go to sleep, Maybe like to help you go to sleep. So I just explained to you how the librarian comes in the classroom and helps and assists the faculty member and the students with these inquiry projects and getting good information because one of the okay. outcomes of this course is informed decision making. Okay. But where do they get that information? Okay. okay. But so librarians up until the turn of the century, this last turn of the century, were often the ones who had to go help you find information. But the role of the librarian is now changing because it's not that students can't find information. The problem is they have too much information. So the role of the librarian has moved toward things like information literacy and helping students spot fake news. So the role of the librarian in the 21st century has shifted. So this article is helping other academic librarians go, okay, as we're thinking about our relevancy on a campus, uh-huh. what are roles we can help play that advance student learning that it aren't just about sitting in the library, but okay. being more active agents in advancing student learning? So, I mean, if I'm listening to this in my car, would a takeaway, uh, you know, sort of for me be that maybe I could use my, lo- my local librarians, like my public a library librarian to maybe help me learn more about issues that were interesting to me? Like like I wouldn't have to do it on my own the way I was describing earlier. Like I can actually, they they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of focus. They're information experts. So if you need to like... I thought they just helped me with the Dewey Decimal System. I got to know which one's the 200s. I heard someone say yesterday they're getting rid of that. Which library, I don't know library if that's Congress, true. Library of Congress system, is that what we're going to? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Something, well, something anyway, but librarians, think of them as information experts. That's what they do all day. Manage it. And actually, I will say writing an article with librarian is awesome because guess what? They do it all? They know. They don't do it all. But they did like, he did led the, um, the uh, what do you call it, lit review? I mean, okay. I was like, man. Okay. They are they're great. Rob is all. We've had him on the show before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Oh yeah, and Rob's he's just great. a wonderful. Yeah, he's talked to my class. Yeah, he knows a lot of stuff. So anyway. So I have for you. We're gonna come back to this article, but I have for you today a library trivia quiz. 
Okay, I'm always quizzing you. Yeah, we'll see how you do here. Just because I've, I've been on the board of the local library, so... See, um... you ought to know a couple things about libraries. Okay. Okay, the library company, America's first successful lending library, was founded in November of 1731 by whom? Benjamin Franklin. It was Benjamin Franklin. Do you know how much money he charged for people per month to use his lending library? It was not a free service until 1790. A dollar? I don't know. Ten shillings, whatever the hell that is. Uh, ten shillings a month. Ten dollars. Ten cents. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, the Library of Alexandria yeah. was located in what country? Greece? Uh, that was Egypt. Oh, Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, the Library of Alexandria had some was a was a an important library. It had some significant library fires. Okay, wow. Which caused us to lose a huge amount of the ancient world's knowledge since there weren't any copies of stuff. Okay, wow, that's pretty serious. That's a bummer, I think. All right, so you so you got one. Mm-hmm. That's one. A good start. Okay. Um. That one was easy, though. Oh, okay. Which philanthropist donated over $50 million? Andrew Carnegie. $1.3 billion in contemporary money. Pretty amazing. Opened a couple thousand libraries. Yeah, I have been in – I love Carnegie libraries. Mm-hmm. We, In fact, I was just lamenting yesterday at the opening of the new branch. We have a new branch out in Middletown. Mm-hmm. I was there for the opening yesterday, and I was just lamenting with someone about in the Highlands, a neighborhood here in Louisville – we used to our branch used to be a Carnegie in a Carnegie one, building. Is that the one on um, on Cherokee Road? There yeah, and Drive? yeah, yes. and yeah. I was lamenting how sad. But I, I have been to my a number of Carnegie libraries, and I love them. They have a special place in my well, that heart. One, that so one's thank a, you, a Andrew mixed, Carnegie. That one's a mixed office space now. Yes, it is. I know so, someone who has their office there. Yeah, me so. too. So I think it's pretty. Okay. Nice. All right. Um, which sage librarian helped Buffy? In the TV series Buffy oh the God. Vampire Slayer. I've never Slayer. seen that. You've never seen that? I have that? a friend who wrote for that show and I never saw That's it. so empowering. I know. That was, I'm so that sorry. Was Giles. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Which famous singer has donated time and money to partner with libraries and encourage childhood literacy? Dolly Parton. It is Dolly Parton. She's which, awesome. Which first lady lear- earned a Master's of Library Science? Uh, Laura Bush. It was. Mm. Yeah, it was Laura see, Bush. not You're too shabby. The Library of Congress is located in which city? Oh, I have been there, Washington, D.C. And by the way, Mm. no one told me how gorgeous that building is. Sure. It's just art and just classical architecture. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It definitely is. Um, The New York Public Library has statues of what in front? I have been there, too. Yeah. Two lions, and their names are... Patience and fortitude. Patience and fortitude. I was going to ask you yeah. that next. Oh, yeah, she's on her. Uh, I'm on it. I have she's also on her been there. Trivia. You guys can tell I'm a I'm a bibliophile. Do you Do you like to have books in your house? I do. Yeah, I do. The Bodleian Library is associated with which university? Cambridge. Oxford. Oxford. Oh, I was close. Choice. I was That's close. Yeah, this thing says you're a natural librarian. Really? Oh, you know, you it's... You might want to consider a career change. So I have says to the... tell you why I didn't become a... There's a reason. Were you going to become a librarian? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I... You know what my mom said? And sorry, Mom, I'm outing you on oh, radio. You know what she said? Yeah. It's a pink-collar ghetto, professionally. Pink collar ghetto. That's what she said. You'll never make your way out of the <laughs> circulation desk. 
I actually, because I love libraries so much, I wanted, so I went and got a PhD in literature, which I have to say, I'm, I don't have any regrets about that. Sure. But you, there's a part you're comfortable of me, in libraries. But there's a part of me that was like, oh, I miss my career as a oh librarian. Oh, my goodness. Well, you could, I, mean, I could still, it's not too late. University of Kentucky has a fine library yeah. science program. Well, listen, I, I, I want to share, I want to talk about this project a little bit from the critical thinking angle. Do you, well, if do you, you want are you to, open to that? I'm open I, to that. I, I'm open to that, but I do have a couple more trivia questions. Okay. All right. Throw them at me. Which university used to allow students to borrow a therapy dog? Antioch? No, you said university. That's yeah. a college. I don't know. The Yale Law Library. Oh, I love that. I wish they still did that. Okay. Yeah, no, they don't do that anymore. I think the dog passed away, the particular dog. Um, Let's see. We'll do do one more. I've I've looked up all of this trivia, so I hate to... um, Um, I appreciate that because usually I'm the one quizzing you. (laughs) Always. Well, this is one. I don't think you'll know the answer to this, but there is um, a, a device that is used by the Boston Public Library, among others, that, um, that is a, a miniature car wash for books that uses compressed air. That's cool. As it rolls along in the in inside to clean the thing, it to clean the to clean the like book. Uh, good from COVID times. Yeah, you haven't heard of this. No, the Depol Vera no. is what it's called. That's kind of mm, interesting. Wow, I feel you know what I feel like. I, well, I work in a library here. Of course, I'm not. My office is located in a building that happens to be the library. That is but, the library. Yeah. But they're oh, I do love libraries. This is reminding me how much I love them. Well, so do you? Do I mean, are you familiar? I mean, are you familiar with the Dewey Decimal Classification? I system? am because I was a librarian. I worked at the Crescent Hill Branch as a um, high school student. So you know what some of these categories yeah. are? Like, if we ask you what's in the seven hundreds? Um. Oh, seven hundreds. Um, is that like animals? I mean, I don't know. It says here that it's arts and recreation. Maybe mm, animals. Yeah, are no, in there. I got to brush up on my Dewey Decimal. Okay, okay. I just really know. The, I just know the one. But I used to when I worked there. Sure. I could be like, you would walk in and say, "Hey, I'm looking for a book on cars," and sure. then I would say, "Oh, that's 530s. Let me take you back there." But I, that's been so long. All right, so. very good. Well, anyway, Dewey Decimal System is out there for all of us to uh, all of us to learn. Maybe some Library of Congress. Yeah. So anyway, All right, tell us about the critical thinking okay, in the library. So thing. well, no, no, no. I want to talk about the thinking that this intervention that we do for the students, the thinking that we've been overturning, some of the things, the reasons they've gotten stuck. Okay. 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 Yeah. So yeah. one of the students, some of the times, the reason students get stuck mm-hmm. is because again these assumptions that they've had that they've never examined, okay. or that they've never. So one of the assumptions they have is that major equals career. Sure. So whatever right, right. major right. is going to be a linear straight line to career. So sure. if I'm obviously if I'm in a nursing program, I'm thinking I'm going to be in nursing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a natural connection. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, students have never really come to understand that this concept of transferable skills and that you can and that many times what happens is people have a very circuitous route to their career. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it, there's a germ of it that started with their major, but most of the time actually not. 
So when they begin to realize, oh, I'm not picking something in 18 that I'm going to be doing for four or five decades. They, sure. That's an assumption that they sure, have. Sure, sure. So we begin to help them rethink that. And they, in one of the ways they do that, to go back to your video game thing, is mm. by, by like experiencing something is how you get to know it. Okay. Is we actually have the map there profound. We actually take a piece of paper and they create what's called a wandering map where they begin to map out significant jobs, events, conversations, people, anything in their life that had a profound or significant impact on them. And they begin to map and draw connections. And that's when they begin to go, wow, okay, so I talked to this person or I met this person or I read this book and that led me to this. And they begin to see the ways they begin to map influences in their whole in their life up to hmm. date. Oh wow! So then they begin to appreciate that I can't know where I'm going to be necessarily at 30 because I'm going to have all these experiences in the world that are going to inform me and lead me and open doors for me or help me see opportunities. But I can't even anticipate them now. Mm-hmm. So what we do is, as they said, we give them the tools to help them see and understand and make those connections and make decisions for now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they don't actually, right? So, so that flips this idea that major doesn't equal career in this neat linear way is very freeing for them. It releases them from, so then they go, okay, so I'm making decisions for me right now but I actually don't know exactly where it's going to lead me. Mm-hmm. So that frees them and allows them to. So that's a big assumption that we over we find that is unlocks things for students. That's one. That's interesting. Do some people then? Is that a spot where some people then decide that that maybe college is not for them? We have had uh, yes, we've had some students go. You know <laughs> what? Either I'm not ready. Or actually, I want to pursue my music career, or I want to do welding, or I want to learn to fly. And so there are a smaller number of students. And and again, this is about helping them figure out who they are and where they belong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it isn't. Or sometimes it's at a different school and not U of L. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, do you have another assumption you want to unpack? Another assumption that students... um, is they, well, I would say it this way, a thinking skill that that many of them have come in and they've had no experience or framework for making decisions on their own behalf. They literally like, oh, before I would kind of let other people's opinion about what I should do decide Mm -hmm. what I do. Mm -hmm. I've Mm -hmm. never really actually come up with a way I'm going to make decisions for myself. So we actually, through this inquiry process that we have them practice over the 15 weeks where they're learning about themselves and asking questions about an academic topic that they're interested in while they're also asking themselves deep questions about who they are, they begin to go, oh, I now I can make I, I see there's a process I can use for making decisions now, but for the rest of my life and in other classes. Oh, sure. Asking so, a question and getting information. Do you use the whole Paul Elder framework when you when you get them doing that, or is it just a couple of those pieces? A couple of the pieces. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah the Paul Elder framework, for those of us, for those folks who haven't heard the show, is the major critical thinking approach that we use here on the show, and it involves 
intellectual tools for analysis and evaluation and character building and bias detection, among other uh, built-in features. And so it's relatively involved, but it is designed so that people can kind of do it in their head. And so you're right. saying that you're bringing some of those pieces. Yeah, so question, information, implications. Because we're, we're really looking at the inquiry process, we really privilege asking questions that are important to you, getting good, diverse information to inform that question, mm-hmm. and then integrating them in, in, in coming up with some insight. Okay, where am I now on my journey? So, Sure. And so do you evaluate that at all or you just take it like as being true? Is there any op- is there any place in there where you bring in some of those evaluation tools and say, well, maybe maybe you're not clear on your purpose or maybe this isn't a good question you're yeah. asking or something like that? We do. Mm-hmm. We have um, a set of standards that actually kind of privilege the process. What okay. I mean by that is that so when they have to write, okay, I'm going to do my inquiry project on this question, like um, I'll give some examples of the kinds of questions you have asked. Um, does being in the Greek system make you a better student? Does you know what does the research show? Yeah, yeah, does um, uh, you know how what is the impact of divorce on adolescence? Right. So student asked that question, and the theme was emotional intelligence. Right, of the course that, and they pick a question, but. We require that they have to say, this is why this question is personally meaningful to Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. Like, this is what I know about the topic. This is what I want to know. So it's more about have they explained and unpacked why that's meaning relevance, right? Why is this meaningful to me? Okay. Right. It can't just be a question because I think this is what Dr. Barnes, my professor, thinks is a meaningful question. And again, many of them have never practiced that. Oh, I have to. I. It's a question that's meaningful to me. Mm. Many of them have been so outer focused on what professors and parents want Mm -hmm. that they've never figured out their own what's meaningful to me personally. So for many of them, they're sort of practicing some of these skills centered in their own lived experience that they've never done before. So is it the case that some of them can't like they they're not able to come up with that on their own some of them need some coaching yes sometimes they need help how do you coach someone for that well so we say everything from um okay just free write just about this topic just start writing and see what questions emerge other times we've said okay go and read a couple articles on the theme and see what we've i mean we've never had a student who's i mean everyone has had to come up with a question but the way the paper works is it also is a question that can evolve as they do their research. Mm, okay. So we teach them again in life, right? Sometimes you ask a question, you get more information, and that question actually morphs. And sure, so right, partly right. what, right. And so um, so we try, that's partly what the li- that's partly what the librarian does. It helps with a scopable question. What's a question you can ask here that you actually can over 15 weeks do some research and get some insight? Hmm. Sounds pretty cool. Um, it is cool. If people wanted to know more about this other than going to your article in the Journal of Library Administration, are there any, you know, big, um, you know, signposts that are out there that people can, can try to aim toward if they want to yes, learn? Yes, thank you for asking. Mm. Um, so our website is louisville.edu 
forward slash find your fit. Hmm. Find your and fit. And what you could do is you could go on there and you could read about like the themes that are currently being offered. You could read what student quotes, what students have said about the impact of this course. Um, I will say one of the things that I am most proud of is that we have created a, this course becomes a space where students can step out of their everyday lives, like mm. step off the treadmill mm-hmm. of, and like step back and go, okay, why am I in college? What am I, what am I, what am I doing here? What am I learning about myself? What am I interested in? What am I going to do with this when mm-hmm. I get out? Mm-hmm. What can I do, right? Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. I find out what options of what mm-hmm. I can do with mm-hmm. this? And so I'm really proud of creating a space and and the, these teams of these amazing faculty advisors and, and librarian teams that work together to support students. Um, and many of these students are vulnerable and uncertain, and mm-hmm. they've been pushing that down, vulnerability and uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to hide that. I'm going to push it down. Everyone else has everything figured out mm-hmm. except me. And so we're actually asking them to bring that up mm-hmm. and lay it on the table and get support in figuring out what they're going to do here. And so that website has materials also that, like, like someone could use to work through this on their own somehow? Would that be a... We know we don't have okay. those materials in a public setting. I'm trying to think, oh, there's a book I can recommend. If people are interested, there's a really great book. Okay. Yeah, great. Now, the title isn't going to sound like what I'm going to say it is, but <laughs> okay. the title is called You Majored in What? It's a question mark. You Majored in What? by Katherine Brooks. Okay. And actually, she has some... Uh, you- good stuff on YouTube, too. So if you, even if you don't want to buy the book, it's free. Go to YouTube, Catherine Brooks. Is it a K or a C? K. Okay. And so what this book does is it actually t- has some many of the exercises. We do like the wandering map that I described. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has, and it's designed with a student audience, right? Okay. We use some of the chapters in the class. Okay. So the Catherine Brooks or going on YouTube looking up wandering map, Catherine Brooks, any would be a really rich resource. The other thing I want to recommend is Ruth Chan, C-H-A-N, has a, a TED Talk okay. on decision making. Okay. Actually, that would be a fun topic to use for this uh, show because oh, okay. she talks about decision making. And we have used her TED Talk in the course before because, oh, cool. again, member students often get stuck because they feel analysis paralysis. How do I make a decision? The stakes are high. How mm-hmm. do I make mm-hmm. a good decision for me? Hmm. So those are some resources. Those are some good resources. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. And I want to thank you because you were one of the faculty who were on a committee that helped us come up with this class. You Once you helped us. Once upon a time, you helped us with this. So thank you. How does it feel to be uh, hearing about the fruition that you were part of the architecture team on that? Oh, I mean, I feel totally disassociated. You do? <laughs> sure. I, don't, I mean, it's been years, don't five you remember, years. Though, yeah, don't sure. you remember? You yeah, were been, part of that. I mean, but just for a minute. I know, but your your feedback was part of the process, so thank well, you. Well, I am happy to have been part of the process. But, you know, thanks for the good work that you did here. I mean, I know that this is helping students on campus. I know it's creating rapport with the librarians who are very important here at the university. And I, I do send students to um, – to the university librarians uh, now that I know that the librarians are available to help students come up with research. I wasn't aware of that for a long time. And I think that that's terrific. Yeah, and the Writing Center, too. should mention that. Yeah, the Writing Center is great, too. And every university just about has them. So wherever you're at, um, you know, 
hit up those librarians and those writing center folks. They want to help you. Yeah, help you have a better experience. Librarians, librarians are waiting for you to reach out and ask them questions that you are trying to find the answers to. Public librarians, academic librarians, that is there. That's what they live for. Huh. Interesting. Donate, 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 donate. This break has been brought to you by a call for your donations. So is there anything in this process of like working with Rob and with, you know, librarians on your team? Have you learned anything about maybe the work of librarians that you didn't know before you started this? Good question. Um, one of the things that I've learned about librarians is they have such a strong working knowledge of how to navigate online sources and mm. databases. And I mean, they're just, it's sort of like the mechanic who knows how your car works and mm-hmm. and they just have so much working knowledge and then, and I'm just so impressed and rely on them when I need information and I'm grateful mm. for them. So I've come to appreciate their masters of information that they are. <laughs> well, let's hear it for the librarians. And, yeah, absolutely. And I uh, want to thank you for spending time with us here on Critical Thinking for Everyone. Again, if you're inclined, you could definitely visit forwardradio.org and you could donate some money. Uh, This is Critical Thinking for Everyone or or has been Critical Thinking for Everyone on WFMP. Uh, Forward Radio, Louisville, Kentucky, 106.5 FM, broadcasting out of the Hayburn Building and loving it. And we want to see you as a Forward Radio supporter, and thank you for being a listener. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You might want to put your money where your mouth is and support some <laughs> of this stuff because it does take 20 bucks a day to keep the information flowing through the and system. And we get none of that money, just to be clear. Just the prestige. Just the um, <laughs> just this lofty title of, uh, of program runner. My goodness. I mean, I can't, I can't hardly count the prestige units that show up every day. It would take all of my time. Hmm. So I just soak in them and I'm delighted. And we do hope that you will contribute. You can also gain some prestige for yourself um, outside of the thanks of the radio station. You could, uh, you know, become a programmer. You could we, bring your own we, knowledge. We'll be happy to teach you. We'd love to stick you teach in Teach you there. all of our secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get your own voice out there and you can shape the airwaves. So... Anyway, as you're kicking it around, just try to keep in mind that this critical thinking stuff is available for you in all sorts of forms. Whether you're a librarian or not, those aren't the only smart people out there. Critical thinking's for everyone. Even you. 